The president-elect came to Washington on November 17, 1992. Not the capital that serves as the backdrop for the evening news, but the Washington that provides the setting for our book, the city beyond the monuments. Bill Clinton picked a block on Georgia Avenue in the heart of what was once a thriving black business community. After twelve years of Marion Barry as mayor and the Republicans in the White House, that strip of Georgia Avenue is receding into the urban wasteland. Storefronts are boarded up, winos stagger around by day, store owners consider deadly robberies a cost of doing business, and crack dealers hunt one another down after dark. The incoming leader of the world's most powerful nation spoke with the shop owners and the local politicians, promised Georgia Avenue and the city more jobs, more credit, safe streets, better housing. Then he departed in a sea of Secret Service agents. Haven't we heard all that before? A middle-aged black man in the crowd asked. We had to agree. LBJ promised self-rule in 1967. Nixon promised to rebuild the riot zones in 1969, and George Bush in 1989 orchestrated a cocaine bust across from the White House and declared war on drugs, beginning on the streets of D.C. Charles Dickens called the capital a city of magnificent intentions in 1842 and 150 years later, the phrase still applies. Millions of students and tourists come every year to see the capital's broad downtown streets, lined with the symbols of federal power and history. The White House, the Capitol, the FBI building, the National Archives, the Smithsonian Institution. This is the majestic city of monuments to presidential icons Jefferson, Washington, and Lincoln, of cherry blossom festivals and inaugural celebrations, Americans feel that this federal city belongs to them. But if they lay claim to the national treasures, they can't deny their collective responsibility for the other Washington, where drugs, murder, and poverty are testaments to the nation's failure. Washington is America's city in glorious myth and tragic reality. Our story is about local Washington, a town where bad things happen in good neighborhoods and terrifying things can happen in poor neighborhoods. Here is the 69-square-mile city that, despite its well-established black and white upper classes, its six major universities, and the rich tradition of the activist black church, jails more black men than it graduates from high school every year. It's a city where white men and foreign investors own virtually all the commercial real estate, though 70% of the population is African American where black babies die at rates higher than in any other American city, higher than in many third-world nations, where the rate of AIDS cases among children is rising faster than in any other place in the nation, where a small deer herd thrives in Rock Creek National Park, while a half-mile east of the forest, young black gangs prey on one another, 
and where the murder rate from 1989 to 1991 made the city the country's killing capital. No other city in America is as tormented or polarized by race, class, and power as the District of Columbia. It is the stage for sweeping national events and international summits, and it is the setting for modern urban atrocities. A teenager shoots a black woman in a car because he felt like killing someone. Two Washington men throw a mother out of her car in the suburbs and drag her to a gory death when she tries to save her two-year-old daughter. A shotgun slayer terrorizes a neighborhood for two months, randomly shooting twelve people and killing three before he's caught. The fact that this city lies in the shadows of the fortresses of American power only sharpens the pain and the paradox.